All right. Happy Wednesday. I think it's going to be, I think this is the best Wednesday of this week uh, to steal. I, I'm stealing that <laughs> phrase from our friend, the alien from Cooked on the Couch. If you haven't checked out Cooked on the Couch, definitely do so. Um, but yeah, happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm actually joined by Richard and John um, from High Stick. So Richard, John, welcome to, and Ian's also here. Uh, Ian, you might remember Ian as well. Um, John's new, but Richard, John, remind us uh, who you are and where you're from. Yeah. So uh, my name is Richard Ashton. Um, originally from California. I moved around all of my life and joined the Marines. Um, I ended up in Hawaii where I met um, my friend Matthew, um, who's a really good bartender out in Hawaii. And he had some connections out in Boston, which was John Bonds and, and Ian Bush. And we all kind of Avengers assembled, got together and, and started a company. Hell yeah, man. Um, yeah, cool. I'm so happy to be here, man. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I, was get, I got to listen to the last one you guys did with, uh, with Richard and Ian and, you know, you guys, you guys always seem to, to find some really cool ways to phrase new, con- you know, old conversations that we've all been talking about, but look at it from a new perspective. So, so I'm, I'm really stoked to be here and talk about the, uh, you know, the, the war on drugs, about black history, about how, it, how you know, different, uh, different people have been affected uh, for centuries at this point. So, so yeah, man, happy to be here um, as, you know, a part of this team. Yeah. And uh, Ian's going to be playing our Jamie today. But uh, and by that, I mean, if you guys are familiar with the Joe Rogan podcast, he's going to be Googling things uh, for us if we need um, some clarification or whatever else. Because as uh, John said, we're going to be in the spirit of Black History Month. We're going to be talking about the origins of cannabis prohibition and try to break it down as much as we can. So, Ian, really quick, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself uh, and uh, remind us where we can find High Stick online. Yeah. Hey, good to be back. Um, I'm just going to kind of stay on mute, like you said, be here as a resource to help you guys pull any information you might need throughout the episode. Um, but you guys can find High Stick at highstick.com. That's H-I-I, two I's. So H-I-I-S-T-I-C-K.com. Um, and then we actually have a, uh, a discount code that supports this podcast in particular. Um, I think it's Chilinoy 10. Yeah. Um, so you guys can use that if you want to support this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for shouting that out. That is uh, the one, the one way we would be uh, getting support uh, off this podcast. We've currently not, uh, you know, we don't have any other avenues of getting support at this time. So the folks at high stick are doing us a solid by uh, not only providing our folks with quality Delta eight, but um, also giving us a piece of the pie. So yeah, if you guys want to get Delta eight, go to highstick.com. That's H I I stick.com. Uh, they've got a lot of solid products. Your tinctures are available now. Is that correct? Yeah, tinctures are a go. Um, we've got Sweet. a lot of really cool things coming uh, coming this year. We're really, really coming in uh, like just full swing into 2021. You know, we wanted to to try to provide as many things that our customers and and our, our retail partners have reached out to us and said, you know, hey, what about this? And so we just spent as much time and money as we could in R and D to to bring those things to life. Yeah, call those uh, powders that you're excited about. I don't know, Ian um, or John, if you guys know, if we got them sent to call already, but those are available too. Um, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. World's first uh, Delta 8 powder packets, um, similar to like a crystal light thing. You know, you can Holy take uh, either two milligrams or five milligrams of like, say, you know, we're calling it lemon, but it'll be some a little, little bit of lemon diesel action in there. 
Um, and, uh, you know, you could just spice up your water for the gym pre-workout, get a little bit of focus going, um, mellow out with some tea before you go to bed. I mean, there's limitless applications for these and we're, we're blessed to be on the ground floor of this. Man, I am excited for that. There's nothing like a good infused drink. And so, I'm, yeah, we I'm will, really uh, we'll to touch that. base with our facility. Cause I know we've sent you guys out tinctures and, uh, and some new diffusers, our new, uh, terpene infused sticks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'll double check to make sure that you guys got a hold of, uh, of some of those powders. Cause I'd love to hear what you think. Sure. Yeah. I'm anticipating the diffuser and the cartridge we'll be talking about we'll, and the tinctures we'll be talking about all those things in the future. So folks, if you're, you know, wanting to hear our thoughts on it before maybe you make the leap, um, stay tuned. We will share thoughts in the future. So, um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's just kind of, uh, t- rewind the clocks back, like, um, all the way back, I'd say to, I mean, where, where do we start? I mean, there was a time and you can folks, you can look this up right now. Um, there's a time when cannabis was part of our everyday life, you know, in certain products, for example, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture of the, um, product that has like a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of cannabis, a little bit of codeine, a little bit. It's like, wow, I think that would cure everything. Um, (laughs) so, um, where do we start? Let me see. Maybe like in the 19, the 1900s. Well, yeah, actually, um, if you want, you know, we can start the cannabis has been around since the 1800s. Actually, a lot of people don't know that. Um, I don't know if you knew that Cole, but it's actually was used um, back in the 1800s, actually for clothes, paper and rope. Actually, in the 1876, the New York Times actually published an article stating that they had some possible healthy effects. It wasn't until the 1900s that people started smoking it. And that actually came from Mexican immigrants, actually. I don't know if you're... Well, yeah, I mean, I'd love to nerd out a little bit, expand on that, Richard. Um, so like from the like 1600s, when settlers first came to America, um, they brought um, cannabis sativa, subse- subspecies sativa, basically hemp from Europe. Um, and then through the slave trade, it later entered through New Orleans and Mexico as well. But, but it started out as rope, sails, industrial mm-hmm. materials. Um, at one point, the federal government of, this, of the U.S., uh, I think in the 18, like, I don't know, 80s to like early 1890s, uh, mandated that they, um, they mandated, they were mandated to grow hemp. It was almost like a, it was almost as valuable as money. They were like, if you are a farmer and not growing hemp, you're not a farmer. Um, and then it went to apothecaries and it's widely accepted, like you were saying, and, you know, uh, early 1900s. Um, and then once we had, we got that, that new influence, uh, you know, all the refugees from the Mexican, uh, Mexican American, sorry, Mexican revolution, um, they crossed the border in droves. They brought recreational use of cannabis, which was new to the States, you know, in the States, we were only doing, um, the medicinal use. You could find it in like an apothecary or something like that um and these cool little old style clay clay uh clay containers and glass bottles but yeah so it really it was hundreds and hundreds of years i mean human beings have been using cannabis and hemp i mean i think a recent study came out they found something that was like 27 million year old fossilized cannabis so like it ain't new um i think our our ability to criminalize it along racial lines is new though yeah and I just, just to say here, I, I want to make sure I'm accurate on this, but from what I was reading, essentially, you know, Mexican Americans are the ones who popularized smoking it in America. So just for our American, Mexican American audience out there, 
Thank you for that. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes. Shout out to shout out to every Hispanic <laughs> homie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I guess from there, um, maybe we can go into how it was used, you know, to essentially stigmatize people of color. Um, you know, from my understanding, I know that, you know, again, or in the early 1900s, when these refugees were coming to kind of escape this political unrest that John was talking about, um, and they brought with them their, their own recreational styles of using it, it obviously became popular. And so what ended up happening was um, the name marijuana, which was actually spelled at the time, M-A-R-I-H-U-A. Marijuana? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that actually um, was essentially uh, the way that they spelt it um, back in the press back in the day. But Right, it, it, the key is in the press too, and we can get to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's behind the press, you know, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, and that's actually what I was going to segue into, which was essentially, you know, the press around this time, the press started putting out these really wild, just really wild headlines, like, you know, wild Mexican family gone insane and, you know, crimes on the rise because of, you know, marijuana and all this stuff. And it was actually um, in 1936. I don't know if you guys know the movie Reefer Madness. Um, we all know Reefer Madness. Yeah. <laughs> it's a that great, one, accurate film. Yeah, that one. That, that <laughs> one. That, it was, it's crazy. It's uh, it's pretty wild, actually. Um, they that was a whole propaganda movie against obviously cannabis, and the whole thing is a pretty much how these this couple they smoke marijuana for the first time, and it just leads to a bunch of like just really crazy stuff, like you know, somebody gets raped and there's hallucinations and there's a murder and stuff because of just because of cannabis, which obviously, as we all know, that's extremely unscientifically supported and, and just, just horrendous and wild. Um, but that was actually something that happened in tandem with someone else who started, you know, really doing a lot of, you know, work against cannabis, which was um, Cole, the person you spoke about in the beginning, which was Harry Anslinger. Um, right. Yeah. And, um, if I had a time machine, I got a, I got an appointment with Mr. Anslinger. <laughs> Single-handedly uh, responsible for almost a century of oppression. Yeah. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, well, he, he and his good friend William Randolph Hearst, which uh, built he, he built his success uh, on his uh, he built the success of his media empire using a style of journalism called yellow journalism, which. The dictionary definition of yellow journalism is defined as journalism that is based upon sensationalism and crude exaggeration. Um, and so that that is putting it probably a little bit a little bit more nicely than than what I'd say with regard to some of the things that that he published within the news, which is kind of wrapping back around to what you said. Um, yeah, H Harry Anslinger and William Randolph Hearst almost worked hand in hand um, and. It, it's interesting because William Randolph Hearst supported cannabis prohibition, but actually stood against alcohol prohibition. He's actually quoted as saying, I'm against prohibition because it has set the cause of temperance back 20 years because it substituted an ineffective campaign of force for an, for an effective campaign of education because it has replaced comparatively uninjurious light wines and beers with the worst kinds of hard liquor and bad liquor, because it has increased drinking not only among men, but has extended drinking to women and even children. So in other words, 
he's literally he has literally made an argument against prohibition, but it only extends to alcohol for him. And if as a veraheel.com says, this is where I'm reading some of this stuff. If that's not a private agenda, what is? <laughs> well, it's pretty funny. The tax act that was placed on uh, cannabis was actually in part like created with Harry Anslinger um, creating it essentially. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. That was in, I think, 1933 when he did that. Um, right. Which is when he started really turning his attention towards cannabis after prohibition of alcohol you know, and that's pretty much where the racism and the xenophobia really started to just kick in after that. Yeah. Um, it looks like the, it was the marijuana tax act of 1937, which it seems that William Randolph Hearst helped, uh, draft. It was drafted by Harry Anslinger, but I'm sure that William Randolph Hearst had a hand in drafting it just because again, of his interests, um, in the paper industry, folks, uh, if I haven't made that clear, he owned, you know, he was a media mogul of the time and had, you know, a newspaper industry. Well, what competes with um, paper hemp? There's also rumors that people like DuPont um, had problems with with cannabis. And um, I, I don't want to skip too far forward, but since we're talking about 1937, it was in 19, it was actually in 1942. Uh, that the United States government made a film, this was during World War II, explaining the uses of hemp, encouraging farmers to grow as much as possible. I think that's my, maybe what you were alluding to um, earlier. And there's, there's this film, and I mean, you can watch it online right now, folks. If you look it up, search up Hemp for Victory. And it was actually not until um 1989 i think that they even acknowledged that they did indeed make this for a while they kind of tried to be like no no we didn't we never encouraged anybody to grow hemp (laughs) yeah (laughs) cool uh a fun a fun little fact that i very recently learned about that was that uh uh so i think jack herrera had referenced that that you know some citation in the library of congress referencing hemp for victory saying like basically trying to ridicule the government for being you know uh uh contradicting themselves and he uh a wall street journal um journalist reached out to him and said like hey i can't find this in the library of congress you're lying and jack herrera was like sweet and went all the way to the library of congress and found it in like the microfish and went through and it wasn't even in like print they had to go find some old articles in boxes buried and both copies of it were forgotten if you could see my air quotes forgotten to be logged by the library of congress it's oh it's just interesting how the the things that the government's ashamed of just kind of happened to you know slip through the cracks but i just thought it was really interesting that after that was confirmed to be in the library of congress jack herrera was slapped up on the uh, cover of the wall street journal (laughs) yeah Yeah, for those for those listening jack herrera you can find him as the emperor of hemp. If you Google him, he was a, he was a huge hemp advocate in the eighties. Yep. Emperor wears no clothes. So it's the book that, you know, every self-proclaimed stoner bought when they were 17. (laughs) Honestly, it was a book that I was read to as a kid and I didn't realize I, yeah, the emperor wears no clothes is something that my grandma used to read me all the time. And it came full circle just a couple of years ago that, that that's who wrote that and uh it was was very interesting revelation for me it made me feel like i've been on the right path all along but anyways not to get too um (laughs) biblical yeah your family sounds dope i can't believe that (laughs) 
Are you kidding me? When I was a kid, me reading those books, and I think uh, there were a couple books or publications outside of High Times that were written by Tom Forcade, and like, I would hide them. My parents would trash them. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 yeah. They'd be um, like, "Are you smoking reefer or reading about it?" And I was like, "Jokes <laughs> on you, it's both." <laughs> but you know, back to our you know our good friend, and I'm joking obviously when I say this, Harry Anslinger. Um, hey, whoa, the cops here? What's going on? Um, yeah, that's on my end. That was probably bad timing. <laughs> I know. I was just no. I was just trying to <laughs> make make a joke out of it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> as reported by BusinessInsider.com, Harry Anslinger took a really uh, he took a scientifically unsupported idea of marijuana as a violence inducing drug, connecting it to the black and Hispanic people and created a perfect package of terror to sell to the American media and public, which again, um, the American media at the time, you know, William Randolph Hearst had a huge, had huge control over. So um, this is the thing though. I, and I try to make, I've made this point before and I'm glad that we're actually kind of rewinding the clocks and getting into it. Um, as you said earlier, emphasizing the word, the Spanish word marijuana instead of cannabis, which is the scientific name for the plant. And we've we've been aware, by the way, that that is it's not like it, it literally is uh, that word being as prominent as it is was because of I, in my opinion, his efforts to try to brand it as a Spanish sounding um, plant. Because, I mean, if you look back to Linnaeus, I think I've said this before on the podcast, who if you were taught in, uh, as I was, I was always taught that Linnaeus was doing his genealogical studies with beans. He was also doing it with cannabis. And that's what I was really shocked to find out. But again, he knew, I mean, they were using binomial nomenclature. They weren't calling it marijuana. They were calling it cannabis indica, cannabis sativa. You know, um, At the time, I don't think cannabis ruderalis was really a, a thing maybe that he had his hands on or anything, but um, I just want to, I do want to stress that um, he was trying to create a strong association between the drug and the newly arrived uh, Mexican immigrants who helped popularize it in the States, which is something you had been uh, talking about. Yeah. It was, people should really, really like take that in words really matter. Absolutely. Um, and especially in America, we, the media has used words um, as a way to, um, as a way to essentially whitewash certain things as well as oppress. And it's not always linear, you know, with marijuana, they really pressed the word marijuana because they wanted a strong association with uh, Mexican and Mexican Americans, which is an important facet too. I mean, they did the same thing with um, the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu did not come from Mexico. Ironically, we did, you know, Trump did the same thing. Um, yeah. Even though it, I mean, it did come from China, but like, you know, at the same time, it's like, that was a great example though, of how words are powerful, especially in the American audience. Um, with the Spanish flu, they were trying to push um, Mexican Americans out of Texas. And um, it's funny, you know, actually it's really terrible. That was back in 19, the 1920s. And what they did was um, the Mexican Americans, as well as if there were any immigrants that were there, they were, ha they had to go into these chambers to be cleaned by, they called the white powder. And it was essentially like a, it's a pesticide they used on that's no longer illegal to use um, in farms anymore, but they use that in order to gas um, Mexicans, uh, Mexican Americans specifically um, in the crotch, in the armpits, in the face and stuff like that. 
um, while simultaneously, you know, painting this picture that, oh, it's a Spanish flu. It's because they're, you know, they're dirty. The actual, the word greaser comes from uh, kind of more of an insult towards, you know, Latinos and, you know, Mexican Americans having oily hair and stuff like that and making it seem like we're dirty people and stuff. Um, and it's pretty interesting the way that words are used to kind of really paint picture a certain way in people's minds, you know, even whether it's marijuana or whether it's, you know, even the idea that, you know, when I look at, you know, when somebody looks at, you know, uh, you know, a white person traditionally, they go, you know, they're white, you know, they're American, you know, but when it comes to black, you know, brown, you know, Asian, it's always a hyphenated thing. And that's, you know, words matter. It's kind of just to press home more of the point that words matter because, you know, that was a facet of, of control, control and narrative. And so, yeah. in, you know, this, I was just going to say, yeah, marijuana is, is, is a huge way that we found out that that was a way that we, they kind of press in our minds that, oh, marijuana comes from here. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an evil drug that's brought up by Mexicans and Mexican Americans, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And he even pushed the idea that jazz was evil music created by people under the influence of cannabis. And just to your point of, you know, words matter, like you say, uh, the example of Spanish flu or Trump's crude, crude terminology of like, what did he call it? Uh, China flu or Kung flu or something like that. Uh, it, just ridiculous. Because at the end of the day, think about it. And I just, uh, this is just my stoner way of looking at it. You know, I think shortly... <clears throat> Shortly after the pandemic started, we we launched like some folks. Uh, I say we Tesla launched some folks to um, the space station. I know this sounds like it doesn't matter, but you know they were really intense about testing those folks because they didn't want you know coronavirus to go to the space station, right? If you think about it, like it's like for us to point out, like try to make some like a uh, distinction like that, like Spanish flu or China flu or whatever. It's just so ridiculous. Cause at the end of the day, we're, we're all on earth. You know what I mean? So like it, when you look at it, like from the perspective of Tesla, they're like, we're just trying to make sure this disease doesn't leave earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, we're not even like trying to point out like where it came from, but anyways, that's just kind of a stoner thought. I don't mean to get off the beaten topic. Um, no, no, that, that definitely ties it in, man. You know, that's, that's a great point. That's it's it's not a it isn't a country issue or racial issue or anything. It's it's a human issue, you know, yeah. facing these existential crises as a species, you know, like, can we do it together? You know, so that I think that sums it up really well. It's just like the International Space Station was like, I don't care who comes up here, just make them safe. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Um, and then Richard, I had a little quote, um, not a little quote. It's a it's a absolute just bomb from uh, uh, Nixon's domestic advisor, John Ehrlichman. Uh, he gave a quote in the 90s, uh, and he said, it's real, real short, he said, uh, going off what you said about words matter, he goes, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. Do you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. It's like, oh God, you bastard. Yeah. What's great, the craziest part is this, this history is available. These quotes are available now. And you know, people still 
they have they still want to believe that it doesn't exist or it never existed in the first place which is pretty insane that's a kind of an insane thing of how much somebody has been kind of nurtured to think certain things or have been so kind of taught you know over and over again certain things uh about like history and and it's funny because we when we look at things from the outside like look at like any kind of gentrified neighborhood or you look at any kind of marginalized people <clears throat> you know the 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 typical and you, you can see even it's like even people who are not like because i really feel like there are people who are not actually like hateful people but they just have like it's almost like a brainwashing it's like they're they have like these fears or like these these stigmas towards people because of what they're used to hearing and what they're used to seeing um for example like to even press the point especially on like the you know the latino community in america like we still a lot of people still think mexico is this big dangerous place that you see in like narcos mexico or like sicario or whatever and it pushes further the point that like this is this is the fringes of what started you know in the 1900s with the the war on drugs um <clears throat> This, this history is available yet for some reason, like it's not talked about, which is why, again, you know, this is why these podcasts are so I, to me, I feel like are so valuable because, you know, people need to educate themselves on these things because these things are still happening. It's like, I've been down, like I lived in Charleston, South Carolina for a long time. In a lot of ways, that place is the gateway to the black experience in America. A lot of the first slaves came through there, you know, um, in, in part, New Orleans, of course, yes, but also Charleston has a history of jazz as well. And there, you know, <clears throat> that's also the where the capital um, of the secession happened, uh, which is pretty uh, insane to think about. But, <clears throat> you know, they're going there, going downtown, for example, I would be with my friends, you know, um, and they weren't hateful people by any means. They weren't racist by any means. You know, they were, they are, you know, Caucasian American, European American, Anglo-Saxon, whatever you want to call. But, you know, when we would go downtown, if a, any kind of person of color, especially like, you know, a black person were to walk by the car, they would lock the doors. And it was kind of seeing things like that, that kind of made me really kind of like, what's going on here. And it's because, you know, these kinds of topics are not taught in, and, and people don't realize how much they've been sold kind of a lie about certain people groups. And it's our job now to essentially undo the, the misinformation of even the word, you know, the, the, the misinformation around cannabis and the misinformation around people of color in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, they literally tried to rewrite history. They tried to act like things like, I mean, if you just look now, like uh, Park Davis, which is now owned by Pfizer, um, Squib of Bristol Myers Squib. They all sold uh, cannabis just around the turn of the century. You can look back. At, uh, there's 19 like, medical catalogs that have been published in 1919 that listed several cannabis products. I mean, you can go back and look at Sears catalogs and see when they uh, sold. I'm trying to think what they called it, morphine, um, you know, back in the day. So a lot of these things that we think of scary as, of as scary drugs um, were normalized at a time and um yeah, these folks did their part. Like you say, uh, they couldn't make being black illegal. They couldn't make being against uh, the war machine illegal. So what do you do? You look at what most of the people that advocate um, for those things do, and it just seems that 
more the folks that are enlightened um, to the military industrial complex, et cetera, are oftentimes folks that uh, experiment with hallucinogens, psychedelics, and cannabis. Um, yes, it's pretty crazy too. Back to that point where you were saying just now, you know, when it comes to stigma, you can't you can't necessarily you know point it directly, but you can indir- indirectly, you know, essentially stigmatize people. You know, if even if you look at like there's I think um I have to like look it up. Maybe Ian can look this up. But in 1938, they the U.S. Census they came out with. Uh, I mean, it was, the other funny part too is the census is a whole other story. I'll get into because right now it it still states that people of color are a minority in this country, which is really insane. But that plays yeah. to the wording of things. And even if you look at the census, you know, there's a a section for. Um, white, there's a section for black, there's a section for mixed, which apparently only makes up what I think a very small percentage. I'm not even gonna throw numbers out because I don't know right now what it is, but then there's also Latino, Hispanic, and then there's Latino, Hispanic, and white, which is crazy. But, um, yeah, so in 1938, they came out with a, a, um, some studies that showed that, um, following these kind of like these, these media outlets putting out like kind of this propaganda against people of color. And tying it to, you know, the the evil cannabis drug, the evil marijuana drug, you know, we saw, you know, relative number of rests, you know, when it came to white, it was like, I think per 100,000 people, it was like 2.3%. Black, it was 6.6. Mexican went up 20.5% per 100,000 people, which, which yep. is insane. what Richard, Richard is referring to is the 1930 U.S. Census, which defined black as uh as a race, Mexican as a race. Um, and it says here that no matter what fraction of those lineages you had, you were considered fully black or fully Mexican. Yeah. Hmm. That's any way to organize us into columns and figures, right? Yeah. And in, in what was pretty crazy too is because it's not necessarily something that, you know, this kind of information isn't something necessarily they put out in the media outlet, but it shows an actual trend of arrest being put towards it was like a it was a kind of a reason it was like oh cool we how now we now it's like um because i i have the other thing too is i have i have a grandfather um who lives in the west coast who you know he was a higher patrolman for 30 years you know um i know some of the things they do i'm, I'm a you know u.s marine vet you know i understand some of these communities um you know because i've been you know really closely tied to them you know but it was pretty interesting because, you know, I've heard stories about how if somebody's suspected of something, they'll come up with a reason. And I felt like, you know, when, when I was, when I came upon this information, it was just like, it was very apparent, like back then that was kind of their big kind of, okay, cool. You, you know, you're, if you're black and Mexican, I have a reason now to, to suspect you. And it was kind of like the stamp on people of color in general, which is pretty insane because they still do it today. I mean, they're yeah. still, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's something that we talk about on our podcast. Um, they, so the smell of can they have this language in the uh, transportation law for Illinois. And basically it says you have to have your cannabis in an odor-proof container and look, you can Google odor-proof container and you'll find results. But the bottom line is there's no such thing as an odor-proof container. And the way I always put it is if there was the cartel would, would love that product um and you know we guess what the point i'm trying to make is that canines can trigger on just about anything not only that 
Uh, I've talked to a few canine handlers and they know how to make them trigger themselves, right? They know how to make them, uh, trying to think of the term they use. It's not trigger. They call on it or something like that. In other words, that's their door in. And, uh, like you say, the question I always ask is like, isn't it, isn't, was it cannabis? Didn't we legalize cannabis in Illinois in 2020? No, we didn't actually. Um, we, we didn't, we actually made, um, the penalties actually a little bit harsher. So in 2019, when we had it decriminalized, if you had a bag in your pocket, in your car, you could get like a maximum, I think of a $250 fine, but it wasn't, uh, something that would go on your record today in 2020, 2021 as well. Um, I mean, it's not changed because that transportation law is written the way that it is. And we have seen a few cases of this before that listeners have reported. Um, if you transport that cannabis in a way that's not correct, which um, again, a baggie in your front pocket apparently is, is not correct. And, and I get it. I mean, to an extent I get it, um, but it's just crazy that going from 2019, it was just a ticket. Now in 2020, it's a class A misdemeanor with uh, fines uh, up to like, I think it was like $500 and court supervision. And I, we know of a few people that have gotten this misdemeanor and are under court supervision for quote unquote, transporting transportation, you know, not, not transporting cannabis in compliance with the law. Sorry, I'm having trouble speaking, but um, yeah. So just really quick though, folks, I, I, I want to tell you the correct way before we move uh, before we bounce back to kind of where we were just talking um, the correct way to transport can the quote unquote, correct way to tr transport cannabis in the state of Illinois is to have it, um, the easiest thing is to keep it in the dispensary container, but if you're a medical cannabis patient and you've cultivated it yourself, put it in um, the closest thing you can find to an odor-proof container. So like a mason jar, make sure that it's quote-unquote quote, child-proof, which I guess a mason jar doesn't meet that. Um, and it also needs to be able to be like closed. So a mason jar, I guess, meets that, but you might need, you just need to find like a child-proof uh, lid for maybe a mason jar. Um, so, so that's like about your best jar inside a mason jar. <laughs> yeah, something, I guess. But your best bet is to transport it like you're transporting a firearm. And by that, I mean, uh, don't have it in your passenger seat. Have it in uh, the trunk of your vehicle or something, you know, way out of reach is the point. It's not supposed to be in the cabin of the vehicle. I don't know what that means for people that drive trucks. Um, does that mean you throw it in the bed of your truck? I don't know, but, uh, just, you know, put it as far out of reach as you can keep it in the packaging, put it in a fucking bag, just make it zip up that bag, make it seem like you, you know, make it inaccessible. That's really the big word in the law is it must be inaccessible to drivers and passengers. So, um, anyways, I wanted to get into that. So yeah. let's get back to the, can I, can I actually hit on that. I actually, go ahead. Yeah. You no. Know, one of my big excitements about being a part of uh, the Delta eight wave is, you know, that also can live as a substitute when you're traveling, you know, you don't have to put yourself at risk by having flour. Although, you know, I know there's so many people out there who still love flour, you know, just because of the culture and all that stuff. And, and, and I'm not against it. You know, my mom loves flour, but I would much rather, you know, this other thing too, it doesn't even have to be about high stick. You know, I think that's another gateway that Delta eight opens up is, is essentially a way to minimize indictment. You know, if you have a Delta eight in your car instead, you know, you can still get you, you can still enjoy your, your benefits from cannabis, but you're not going to be, you know, at least on a federal level implicated. 
and, and in most states, you know, and of course we, I mean, we you feel free to go, you know, for our listeners, go on to highstick.com. We have the, in our, um, the states that are, you know, they kind of have laws against, you know, even Delta eight, um, but they're very few compared to the majority of the, of, of, you know, America. So and if you can cue that up, yeah, to me, I feel like, you know, I don't know what you think about this Cole, but I mean, hopefully that gives a little more value to Delta eight as a whole is it, it provides kind of our own kind of counter towards uh, a government that is looking to find counters against us, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, think there's a hundred percent. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you guys asked me to cue that up. Uh, high stick is a hundred percent legally compliant, uh, federally compliant hemp. Uh, the only states that don't allow it, and this includes CBD, would be Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Delaware, Idaho, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, and Utah. Although I believe Nevada has changed their policies recently. Good deal, Nevada. And yeah, and the, the big thing, I'm, I'm never advocating breaking the law, but just to be smart for those who want to use, who maybe are in those states as well. The other thing about our, like Delta in general, it, it doesn't smell like cannabis and it doesn't look like cannabis. So that's another thing too. That's another level of protection there, which is like, if I were to be on a street and a cop were to walk by me and I'm, and I'm smoking, you know, a high stick, for example, or, you know, or even if I've taken one sublingually, I mean, there's really no way to smell. There's no, there's no heuristics to it. There's no like thing they can look at me physically and be like, Oh, that person is, is, super high or, or there, I can tell they're on cannabis or whatever. Yeah. And I think the best thing really is like with, you know, hopefully when we return to a place of normalcy, what will be nice about the way your products work is like, I, yeah, I always hate having to take the walk, you know, whenever you get together with family, Oh, I got to go on a walk. Well, with your guys's tinctures and your vapes, I can just step outside really quickly. Or as I like to do step, you just take a step inside the bathroom. You don't actually have to use the bathroom though. Use maybe the bathroom window and take a dab, you know, off of your dab pen or your vape, you know, vape pen. So, um, yeah, yeah. Even, even with our infusers too, it can be in your water and it can be a water thing. Hey, yeah. You could be drinking it right in front of grandma. She doesn't doesn't even have to get all concerned about the devil's lettuce. I have it literally in my car. Just don't give her a sip. (laughs) Give her a sip and be like, yeah. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to the world, grandma. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's the cool, not to cut you off, but that's the cool part about this whole thing is that right now there, you know, there isn't a, a blanket thing that protects people who, you know, protects the culture, protects the people, you know, so, you know, Delta Aid is, is one of those things that is, hey, this is the thing we can do now, which is, I, I would encourage like, you know, if you if you like flower, it's like, you know, still do that, but have a place and a time for that. But if you still want to be if you if you're like the kind of person who it's really embedded in your lifestyle, which is, you know, is okay, you know, there's different, different facets of hemp, you know, ergo Delta eight, which you can implement into different parts of your life as well. Like family reunions, I can still, I can still take part of cannabis and not have all the, 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 the negative or, or, or the, the physical things of, of cannabis, of, excuse me, of marijuana specifically THC, and I can still enjoy it. So that's a really cool thing. Um, because unfortunately the, you know, and the, back to segue back into what we were talking about, it's like, what is there to be done right now about this stuff? Like, how is this, how, how is this affecting us today? Um, I think one of the big things I wanted to shout out is, is last prisoner project, honestly. 
um, because one of the people we're working with, um, where that we're donating with and we're partnering with to um, essentially fight the war on drugs or the effects of war on drugs. Um, something that was my childhood and with a lot of, you know, like I'm black mixed, I'm black Mexican, Vietnamese and white, you know, um, but I still had like a, a typical childhood for, of a lot of people, a lot of my friends, a lot of my brothers and sisters, a lot of my cousins, same, same stuff, you know, fatherless homes, disenfranchised families. Like when I grew up, you know, growing up, my dad got locked up like two weeks after I was born, you know, and my mom was, you know, in rehab, you know, I lived in a very disenfranchised home. And so what people don't realize is, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you know, cannabis is evil for those who maybe don't advocate towards cannabis, right? Um, it's easy to go, oh yeah, cannabis is evil. And like, you know, like if they didn't, didn't smoke it, maybe they wouldn't, you know, da da da, it wouldn't be bad or whatever. And, and so I like the laws, the system works. I, it's one of the biggest things I hate when people say the system works. It's the craziest thing to me because they don't realize what happens when you take parents away from, from children, you know? And these children are, they're children like anyone else. It's like, you know, they're not, they're not out doing anything. They're just trying to grow up. And so it's like that child loses access to um, one, the mental and emotional support that they need from having a, a father and a mother, you know, um, or a, a male or a masculine feminine energy, you know, it, it doesn't have to be male and female, you know, and the other part too is, you know, they're, they're also losing chances on getting education. You know, last prison project helps do all those things you know, um, right now, I think they're, they are working to essentially work on the policies um, surrounding, you know, um, the uh, around cannabis and like how people are incarcerated. I don't know if you guys saw the movie Mercy. It had Michael B. Jordan on it. I think anybody who has not seen that movie should watch it like today, but because especially for Black History Month, um, you know, Mercy is a, is a movie about how you have a lawyer who comes down to, I think, Ian, if you can correct me if I'm wrong about, you know, where he goes to, I think it's Alabama. Um, but Jamie, Jamie Foxx plays one, uh, one of the main characters. It's, it's a guy who's um, wrongly accused for, um, uh, for, I think, killing and raping uh, uh, some white woman in, um, in the town. Um, when it wasn't him, obviously, it was, it was some other person. It was some white guy. But um, at, during that time, at least, that was, I think, back in the 19... That happened back in the 1970s or 80s, actually, not too long ago, you know, your parents' generation. And pretty much the whole, like, there was so, so much evidence supporting the fact that he, you know, he wasn't guilty, but they still locked him up. He didn't get out of jail until 30 years later. You know, that happens in, you know, for a lot of different people of color as well when it comes to cannabis. I think recently a man just got released for after 25 years for-, yeah, for Michael um, Thompson. Yep. Can you- can, yeah. Yeah, do you know a little more about that? Yeah, he had um, he was arrested for three pounds of trafficking marijuana. Uh, he had he was given I think it was like a twenty year sentence for the for the cannabis, and then and then another like thirty to forty years for uh, possession of a firearm in tandem with the cannabis. And uh, I mean, so at, almost at any age, that's a life sentence. You know, think about the things that that, that you lose. You know, it's like you you'll always make money back. You don't get time back. And that's what they've, that's what the war on drugs, which has really just been a war on poverty has taken from people, whole generations of people, you know, and like Richard's a great example of that. And, and he's one of the, the mind, he is the minority within the minority that has actually risen from, 
risen from that. You know, it's like most people continue this cycle, you know? So there, there's a, to think of where we looking at this history and to think about where we came from in 1857, for example, when like the Dred Scott case happened um, and he was ruled not a person. So he didn't have legal standing. And that's why he lost that case to fast forward to now where the Moore Act is potentially in front of Congress. And we could be looking at expunging tens of thousands of cases of people whose lives have been disrupted. So it's, it's both a very sobering, you know, truth because you don't get time back, but it's also empowering as a community to see, to see us moving forward, despite the gigantic parachute that has been pulling us back every step forward, you know? So it's, the takeaway is positive because we're moving in the right direction, but it is still just every time you dig up these details, it's so, it's so glaring to us now you'd think um, while we still have so many people who don't, who think we're dope heads or think that this is, this should be illegal or so it's, it's an ongoing conversation and that, that therein lies the work for our generation, you know, cause we're the, we're the last generation to have a connection with the Jack Herrera's and the, you know, and the Todd McCormick's and all the people that pushed this forward, the people who were there, the people who got their houses raided and went to jail, you know, like taking their work forward into the next century is, is our mission, you know? Yeah. And the other thing too, is a lot of, some of these people are still around, like people don't realize how recent this really was they, uh, that's another thing. And people want to act like it's a very ancient thing. It's it happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. No, it happened literally in your grandparents' generation and your parents' generation period. Like, yeah. Prop prop two fifteen in California was passed in what? 96. You know, it's like, yeah. Like how, like <laughs> a century of, of oppression, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for people to act like anything in this country is, ancient history uh i like you know we've been referencing joe rogan a few times but one of his jokes that's really good is that this country was only founded like three and a half people ago yeah. <laughs> that is that i love that that's i use that reference so many times and i so, think about it so many times yeah yeah well just to, to let's do a quick recap so um the pure food pure food and if i can speak drug act was uh, passed by the United States Congress in 1906, which required that certain drugs, including cannabis, be accurately labeled with contents, right? Sounds good. That sounds like good stuff. And this was because previously um, drugs had been sold as patent medicines. So if you, if, if you aren't uh, familiar with patent medicines, neither was I. Patent, medici- patent medicines is a commercial product um, that is advertised as a purported, uh, purported over-the-counter medicine without regards to its effectiveness. Actually, this is where the term snake oil comes from because some of them contained or claimed to contain snake oil. Um, So uh, let's see here. Where was I? In 1910, no, it was 1938, um, the act was updated and... um, it remains effect even today and creates a legal paradox for federal sen- sentencing. So basically, um, hmm, losing my train of thought here, but this is like kind of where they started to define um, what are and aren't um, prescription medication. Um, and this is kind of where you started to see the scheduling of drugs start to come about, right? 
And so Harry Anslinger was uh, who we were talking about earlier was the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which really at the time had a focus uh, from what I understand, um, you know, they kind of were born out of uh, prohibition. So it was like they used to handle alcohol and they needed to become something else. And so we actually just posted a Federal Bureau of Narcotics uh, service announcement that was used in the late 1930s and 40s on our Instagram. Uh, we posted that last night. <laughs> I'm going to read it really quick. It says, beware, young and old people in all walks of life. This may be handed to you. And it's a picture of a joint by a friendly stranger. It contains the killer drug, marijuana, a powerful narcotic in which lurks murder, insanity, and death, which... I was thinking, are those strain names or like, what are they? I'm, I'm just <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. So if you guys want to see this crazy ass, and it actually is referencing um, the address of the Interstate Narcotic Association, which was on 53 West Jackson Boulevard, Boulevard in Chicago, Illinois. So check that out on the Chillinois podcast Instagram. We got a picture of that. Um, but, but again, we were talking about FBN uh, headed by uh, Harry Anslinger. Um, was part of the government's broader push to outlaw all quote unquote recreational drugs. And so, you know, fast forward to 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which effectively made the possession or transfer of marijuana illegal throughout the United States under federal law. And um, at the time, it was actually excluding medical and industrial uses because you'll remember. Um, there were some movements with hemp around that same time, you know, and uh, 1942, we were referencing uh, hemp for victory. So, well, as we all know, the, the lumber industry and the, uh, you know, and the, the paper industry definitely did their work lobbying Congress in those years as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, this is what I was referencing to earlier, the company DuPont and many industrial historians dispute uh, or or some people talk about a link between like uh, maybe the folks that were really pushing for nylon paper, etc., were pushing back on hemp. So, um, like you say, it's kind of and like I was saying earlier with uh, William Randolph Hearst, who argued against prohibition, but then pushed his media, con you know, his media uh, outlets to publish or kind of push for cannabis prohibition. So it's like uh, there's interests in mind and they want they didn't want um competition you know um, and that lasted for decades you know it wasn't really until the 60s uh when you know the hippies embraced cannabis and and all this new crazy music you know the same way that they tried to do uh in the 20s and 30s and 40s with jazz you know i mean all all along the way um you know black people were being uh targeted were being marginalized were being blamed for i mean you, you, if you invent a problem and then find someone to blame and then scare the majority of people about that problem, they then, so I mean, the association is still here today. You know, it's, it's, it's a lasting uh, legacy of, uh, of racism that was broken in the sixties and seventies, or at least attempted to, you know what I mean? Like that's when it yeah. started. Um, yeah, no, like you say, uh, the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs and the Office of uh, Drug Abuse Law Enforcement merged to create the DEA on July 1st, 1973 as part of Richard Nixon's reorganization plan number two, which proposed uh, the creation of single uh, of a single federal agency to enforce federal drug laws. And Congress accepted the proposal 
as there was concern regarding the growing availability of drugs. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how it, in 1970, both uh, the war on drugs was announced and normal was founded the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Yeah, so shout it's out like, to normal shout out to normal um, uh, real quick about um, sidebar about um, clubhouse. It's such an incredible platform to be able to uh, be in these rooms and meet these people that have had these experiences and were there. And, and now you get to talk to people who are, I, w- I was talking to the, the head of the chapter of the Wisconsin normal, um, you know, shout out to Alan. So there's, there's some really great people that are in this space right now, heading normal and, and trying to push for, you know, like I referenced earlier, that, that new work, you know, cause the work lies in, okay, cool. So we expunge all the cases, the government owns up to its hundred century of, of, you know, persecution and then prosecution and and now we have to figure out how do we provide you know social equity how do we how do we reach as the people that as the people of color that are in the industry that are pushing it forward being thought leaders doing doing what we feel is best taking advice from these past people you know how do we best extend a hand to those who have been pushed down by the war on drugs and welcome them back into society in a healthy way with dignity you know because it's like even when you're let out of jail that stays with you you know that that stigma of 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 uh of being an ex-con you know even if you're thinking you know even if you're expunged it's still it still is with you so it's like there's so much work to do for us in the future and right now um to to still undo you know what i mean like you know they say you know you can you can destroy your uh um your reputation uh, you can destroy a, a career-long reputation with one mistake and, and it's the opposite you know we're on the other end of that how long is it going to take us to undo a century of wrongdoing? You know? So, yeah. uh, you know, we're excited to be a part of this, um, you know, partnering with the last prisoner project and, and both shouting it from the rooftops and actively donating and trying to make a difference. Um, because the answer to which one is it? It's yes. All of them, everything, <laughs> yeah. tell everyone, get on every stage, get on every podcast, make all the friends, you know, that's, that's where this work lies is the final push of the next century of acceptance and freeing the plant, freeing hemp, you know, and, and I don't mean to sound negative, but like, you know, dish out some just comeuppance, not in like a negative get whitey way, you know, I'm mixed race. So what am I going to do? Punch myself in the face. So it's like, we have, yeah, yeah, (laughs) we have to be more sophisticated than that. It's, and it's not about, yeah, yeah. We have to be, we have to see like be more forward thinking and be like, how can we not only avoid the mistakes of the last century, but how can we be so proactive that the next century doesn't have to do this, you know? Cole, I, and I'm, I'm curious too. Um, I, I know you're on Clubhouse as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm on Clubhouse. Honestly, it would be really cool idea. Um, we can talk about it offline if you want. But I mean, this conversation doesn't have to just live here. We can, I mean, we can have more conversations like this, maybe on there. To, and oh, absolutely. Really That's a great idea. I've been thinking about a way that we could uh, start start conversations on Clubhouse. I'd love to do that with you. Yeah, we'll talk about that all, offline for sure. Absolutely. Um, also, back on to like what John was saying about getting involved. Um, yeah, so really cool. Again, another Last Prisoner Project is really great. There's a bunch out there, by the way. It's not just Last Prisoner Project. Um, there's a lot of companies, you know, for me, I I'm really stand behind. This is the reason why, you know, I'm doing at least what I wanted. I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and when it comes to my part of the company is like, I believe a lot of, I believe we can't really solely depend or think it's going to come from the government. I think we, 
absolutely need to get civically engaged as a balance. But I think a lot of the great change is going to happen for private enterprise. And right now we live in the best of times. All people live in the best of times to be able to create ventures, company, organization, non for, not for profits, et cetera, you know, that are making forward change. You know, I think, I think it's going to sacrifice a lot of, you know, dollars, but I would rather sacrifice sales for substance, you know, and for positive change. I think that's the most important thing. Um, a really cool quote from last president project. I'm just going to read it. Um, this really kind of encapsulates a lot of the things that we're saying right now, especially, um, and Ian, if you could, if you could later, um, after this bring up the, um, if, if you can, if I don't know if you found that movie for me or not, um, because I really think everyone should watch that along with a, a million of other movies that are out there. Um, not just this month as well, just like you sh- people should be watching movies on this stuff in general, because it's a good way to educate. Um, yep, the film is called Just Mercy. Um, it got a 93% rating on Google. Um, after graduating from Harvard, Brian Stevenson heads to Alabama to defend those wrongly condemned or those not afforded proper representation. It stars Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson. You can find it on HBO Max, Hulu, and Amazon Prime Video. So if you have any of those services, um, you can watch it there. And then also, I think one of the things that you guys were kind of touching on is that the police kind of have a shoot first, ask questions later policy when it comes to cannabis. And so that's why High Stick includes um, a little legal card in every packaging that kind of tells you your rights. So um, if any if any police officers are harassing you about using a Delta 8 product, um, you have that resource in your packaging uh, and you can just kind of pull that out and and stop the conversation there rather than having to go through the judicial system to clear your name. Yeah, we got you on that. <laughs> Um, so the quote also is, um, from their, um, from their page, you can just, you can see this on lastpresentproject.org. Um, the quote is, is they're saying is, is imagine sitting in a cell for years, decades, or even for life convicted of an activity that is no longer a crime while thousands of other people build intergenerational wealth doing exactly the same thing. So that is the situation that over 40,000 cannabis prisoners face today in the United States alone, while countless others languish in jails and prisons worldwide. The Last Prisoner Project is a nonprofit organization dedicated to cannabis criminal justice reform through legal intervention, uh, public education, legislative advocacy. We work to redress the past and continuing harms of our country's unjust and ineffective approach to drug policy. So that's the, that's the, um, that is from the organization last president project. And that's the people we're partnering with. And, you know, to what John was saying about, you know, how do you get involved? Um, I think he hit it right on the nose with everything, you know, um, you know, the biggest thing all Americans need to do. I think this is a, a social responsibility at this point, as it is with climate change, as it is to just do things that are, you know, not be lazy and just do the right thing so that we can push ourselves in the right direction. It's, you know, educate yourself on the history, you know, re, 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 you know, re um, post this podcast to your friends, you know, to get you started on the history of cannabis and the racial um, and social injustices that came thereafter. Um, not just for black history month, but for, you know, for the rest of your life, I think it's important to be able to do this and as well for your children and your brothers and your sisters. The other part too, about this, I think people have a social responsibility, especially as being Americans is, learning about politics, um, how you can participate in civic engagement, you know, whether on a state or federal level, you know, to vote, to enforce the right policies and get rid of the wrong ones, kind of like what, um, not kind of, but what Last Prison Project is doing. 
um, and as well as supporting, you know, um, not just black uh, owned companies, but companies of all people of color in general, I think is really important. You know, something that we're talking about back in the day, the reason why we have, we have these intergenerational wealth in, and then we have like these, we have this big disparity, right? This big dichotomy between, you know, a lot of, a lot of white um, communities as well as people of color communities is because one, there's, we've been, you know, people of color have been fighting all of these barriers to entry, you know, um, but the other part is, is white people went out of their way, not only in the beginning by saying, hey, don't call yourself Irish, don't call yourself Italian, call yourself white, we're all one thing. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a powerful use of words in order to, you know, to band themselves together. But the other part was they would go out of their way to make sure that they support their own businesses. So, you know, it's, it's, that's an important facet as well. So supporting, you know, um, people of color and, and their businesses, uh, you know, even, even businesses like Highstick, we can always, we can always use your support and all the support, you know, that you give goes to things like prisoners, um, last prisoner project. Um, so those are a few ways. I don't know, Jonathan or Ian or, or Cole, if you guys have any other ways in which you guys can think of how people can get involved and people can start taking action. Um, but well, those are my big ones. Um, I'm sure that this isn't probably at the top of the list, but I do wanted to plug, you know, if you guys want to connect with us on Clubhouse um, I, um, and get involved in this conversation we're talking about maybe having in the future, you know, and then we could maybe that that's how they could get connected with other folks. So that's just an idea I have right off the bat with, with that said, I want to plug my uh, Clubhouse username. I want you guys to do the same if you're comfortable with doing that. Uh, mine is at Chillinoy State. So at CH Illinois State. Um, on clubhouse so if you want to follow me right there. on man yeah i'm i'm pretty uh um this is pretty much the same at uh simple at john bonds that's j-o-n-b-o-n-d-s like james but plural yeah mine so mine's gonna be my name as well um Ian, if you wanted to plug the the high stick one um that yep. we're doing Yep. So my username as well is Ian Bush, I-A-M-B-U-S-H. And we are creating a Delta 8 cannabis channel uh, where we talk specifically about Delta 8. But I think more importantly, we also uh, hold conversations about what people can do and how, what forms of activism, activism you can take, whether it's passive or active. Um, you know, we have, we'll, have, we'll be sharing resources on that, that channel as well. So give us a follow and we'll include you in those channels. Uh, can you say that one more time, the name for it? Yeah, it's going to be Delta 8 and Cannabis. Um, but if you follow one of us, we'll certainly um, send you guys an invite to join that channel. Yeah, and my just to correct, my full name is Richard Roman Ashton, but my uh, uh, my clubhouse name is Richard Roman. Um, so that's where you can find me, and, and, and um, that's why I'll be able to plug these, this channel as well. Ian, what was yours, by the way? Mine is, again, Ian Bush, I-A-N-B-U-S-H. All right. So um, to just bring it back, um, we were about up to the 1970s. Um, an important part in Illinois history is that, um, and I meant to mention this earlier, so let's just quickly rewind to 1931, which is six years before a national law had passed. You know, That was before the national, the tax, the Marijuana Tax Act. Um, six years before that, the Illinois General Assembly voted to make cannabis illegal in Illinois. Um, and then 50 years later, like I say, we're in the 70s. So in 1978, 
Illinois lawmakers put forth the Cannabis Control Act of 1978, um, which technically allowed for medical cannabis. Unfortunately, recommendations for medical cannabis never saw the light of day. Um, and uh, really, really until the year of 2013, when the General Assembly passed the Compassionate Use of Medical Cannabis, uh, the pilot program, so the MCPP, um, that was passed by uh, Governor Quinn, um, Pat Quinn, I think his name was, um, and it took effect on January 1st in 2014, which allowed uh, the use of medical cannabis in really tightly controlled circumstances um, it was limited to like 30 serious debilitating conditions at the time. So um, that's just a fun fact in Illinois history around in the seventies, you know, when um, Nixon was still doing his thing and we were leading into Reagan with mandatory sentencing and three strikes. Um, actually in 1978, we, technically legalized medical cannabis in the state of Illinois. And it, it's funny, just you know, I did a little bit of reading on it and, uh, in order to get a recommendation for Illinois, the Illinois, I'm calling it the Illinois medical cannabis program, but that's not what it was called back then. I don't know that it was really called anything per, per se. Um, but basically to get a recommendation, you had to get the recommendation from a certified doctor. The doctor had to be certified by the Illinois state police and the Illinois state police never certified a doctor. And so there was never a mandate for the Illinois state police. That's the important thing. There's never a mandate for them to certify any physicians. And so they didn't. And again, that's why the recommendations never really saw the light of day. Um, I'm definitely aware of some patients that participated in the federal medical cannabis program and they would get medical cannabis from uh, the facility that where they grow medical cannabis in uh, Ole Miss in Mississippi. Um, so I will have actually try working on getting a guest, um, that dispensed medical cannabis for the federal program back in the day. I've been working on getting him on since the inception of this podcast. He's a really professional guy. And for that reason, we're trying to figure out the right way to do it. Right. So, um, but just wanted to throw that out there for some Illinois history. 1978 is when actually on the books, you could technically get some medical cannabis in Illinois. So again, I was referencing the Reagan administration, we got into like the 1980s and we saw the sentencing reform act um, uh, provisions of the comprehensive crime control act of 1984, which established mandatory sentencing guidelines and later an amendment created a three strikes law, which recre- which created mandatory 25 years imprisonment for s- repeated serious crimes, including uh, certain drug offenses and even allowed for the death penalty to be used against quote unquote drug kingpins. So that's a really bright spot in our history. Yeah, man, I think uh, that definitely was, you know, for every action, there is an uh, equal reaction. Um, I think that it, through civil rights, um, and uh, which is the first time black Americans and non, you know, non-white Americans were truly equal, legally anyway. Um, we still working on the rest. Um, but I think that that's a good point, man. Cause it's like, that was a complete and equal reaction by the conservative side of America to the freedom that we achieved in the sixties and early seventies. So that now we started to have that, uh, that talk that was always there, you know, that, that narrative of mar- marijuana is bad. All of that, that started in the thirties and the forties with Anslinger, probably twenties with Anslinger. 
And that moved all the way through until we had the sixties. And then that gave us uh, a bit of light, you know, that was like, we signed the civil rights act. Um, you know, there was experimentation. We had new, new ways of seeing and thinking there were things like, you know, experimentation with mushrooms and, and cannabis and, and, uh, uh, LSD, all these things that that mainstream America was terrified of and had never seen before. So it was almost expected that the conservative side of America was going to have some some you know reaction. Uh, unfortunately, it was it was not an equal reaction. It was definitely disproportionate. And unfortunately, those people were in uh, were in power then at the time. You know, so it's like by the time the mid seventies rolled around to the to the you know mid eighties with the Reagan administration. I mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a surprise that even, you know, a few years later, uh, Bush senior declared a new war on drugs. So it's just like um, it was almost like the table is now set on guard. You know what I mean? It was like that's when the two parties both now had an identity instead of it being like a disorganized, marginalized group that was at the mercy of the other side. Now we started to have a voice. Um, and, and that's why we really started to open up the conversation and people were we're no longer living in the shadows about, about cannabis, about hemp. Um, you know, and it was for the first time that, you know, non-white Americans were on legal equal footing and we could really start to have those uncomfortable conversations that we are still having today. Yeah. And shout out to hip hop culture. You know, when, um, we first, hip hop started really blowing up that actually that whole movement was a response to the disparity in the projects in the Bronx. Um, uh, there's, I think there was a Netflix series that came out. It was really cool. Um, I think it was called the get down. It, it was pretty dope. Um, that one's pretty good. There's a lot of documentaries on it. I think grass is greener, um, by fab five, Freddie. Um, he also put that out here recently on Netflix. That's also about what we're talking about right now, which is the, um, the racial history of, of cannabis, but, um, you know, hip hop culture, which is, you know, people know it traditionally as the four pillars, which is, you have emceeing, uh, DJ, um, uh, breakdancing, and graffiti. But the fifth and most important, as African Bambada would say, is knowledge. Knowledge is the thing that, you know, that united hip-hop. And hip-hop was a platform to give voice to a marginalized people. And that's extremely important. Um, and it's what's funny is, like, everything John's saying is, like, the especially during Black Lives Matter protests back in, in March, um, I mean, these protests have been going on forever in all of my life and, and people who, who, who experience it directly. But, you know, especially in, in March, like the conversations I was having with people were like, you know, oh, that, that was a long time ago. Like racism only exists if you believe in it, which is a pretty crazy thing to say in the first place. It's like um, the whitest thing you can say. Yeah. <laughs> or the most uneducated, because I know the thing is, I, I know a lot of uh, not a lot of people of color who not a lot, but there's a good group of people of color as well who are fortunate enough to also be privileged and be away from, you know, um, any kind of ghetto or hood or, or, you know, marginalized community, you know, um, and they've never experienced that. And therefore like a lot, some of those are the guys you see, you know, who they may be black or Brown, but they're wearing a Trump hat and you're just like, wait, what doesn't make any sense. But, um, you know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's why education is so important. And I think what John's saying is like, yeah, the knowledge facet of it is, is very important. I don't know if um, I'm sure John or Ian or Cole, if you guys know a little more on this, but, you know, where you got, where are you guys seeing as, as kind of like, you know, 
where we're going right now when it comes to like, you know, the reform. Um, John, you mentioned the, um, the MORE Act. I was kind of curious actually on that because I looked that up um, last night. How can we get involved in that? That's what I would like to know personally. I don't know if you guys are interested. I, Call your I, congressperson. Yeah. Call them today. Call them tomorrow. Call them the next day. Call them until that they're, you'll, they'll never pick up. Uh, I used to be that person. Call them, their write them emails, tweet. Yeah, tweet. their legislative aide is the person that'll be responding to your emails and, and calls. And you want to be a, a name in their office that they know. Mm. And if 10,000 people do that, if 100,000 people do that, they, they look at community response as what is the likelihood I'm going to get this fancy ass chair again? Re-election. So you have to push that button. You have to really call them and be like, this is important enough for me to, to me, for me to vote against you. And I represent Pro a million people, you know, because yeah, pro protests are great, but they don't really mean much when they don't reflect in votes. Yep. That and then I would also add, important thing. Yeah. And I would also add that I'm looking at the more act just for those who are unfamiliar. There's two pieces to it. There's the descheduling of cannabis. And then there's also the expungement of records and the, um, the prison industrial complex are, are using the, the powers at their disposal to um, remove the expungement piece from the MORAC. Um, so not only reach out to your Congress people and let them know that you support this bill, but also that you uh, specifically support uh, expungement as well. Yeah, there's definitely uh, some things that are gonna change with that. Cause it's not, from what I understand there, what you're gonna see as the final bill is not gonna be the MORAC. Act. It's gonna be a combination of the MORAC Act and the States Act, which the States Act is really what they're going to be drawing off of because it had bipartisan support. So um, that really the main component in that, which will be a huge victory for the cannabis uh, industry as a whole is uh, banking provisions um, for the states. So I guess Chuck Schumer, um, if you guys want to keep uh, an eye on it, marijuanamoment.net has been reporting on this, um, but Chuck Schumer is kind of heading heading the initiative to um, do all of this. He's been making headlines a lot lately. He even recently did um, an interview with Al Harrington of Viola, which is crazy because that makes me feel like like three degrees away or four degrees away from Chuck Schumer because our good friend Mike Malcolm um, is his good friend, I guess, uh, works with Al Harrington to, as a co-founder of Viola. So it's cool to see Viola involved in those conversations. But like I say, from what I understand, um, we're going to see a mixture of the MORE Act, what they're going to be taken out of the MORE Act is some of those social justice reforms, hopefully expungements. I've heard what you're talking about. There's a push to maybe re re remove some of that. But uh, yeah, let's call our uh, representatives and make sure that that uh, doesn't happen. Um, and let's hope that we see some uh, something that'll pass uh, through the house because this seems like uh, a better time than ever uh, with cannabis, <laughs> you know, cannabis sales being through the roof. You know, there's obviously a demand for it. So let's deschedule it. Let's expunge these records um, and let's give the people that are in the industry access to banking so that they can get the funding that they need, especially those folks that right now are currently in limbo in Illinois because they won't release the fucking licenses. Sorry. Um, so uh, they won't release the licenses for the stores, for the craft grow. And for all, you know, we've got good friends at Chicago Kush and they've got um, a facility that is licensed, zoned, it's sitting there. They're paying the power bill for it. They're paying the water bill for it. And sure, they're not using a lot of power or water right now. 
Um, but they're paying bills for a property that's not making any money and that's fucking bullshit. So um, just wanted to sit, just wanted to, yeah, but let's get back to if you, did you guys have any thoughts on the more act? I didn't mean to kind of get on a soapbox. No, you're good, man. Get on that box. Um, <laughs> this is your podcast, man. Um, we're here to, to learn as much as we are here to, uh, you know, to speak. Um, that's kind of one of the things that clubhouse has been just like incredible with, you know, you get to yeah. learn from people that you never would have crossed paths with. And then everybody on the face of the earth knows something about something that you don't. So it's, it's just great to be able to have these conversations, man. Um, preach away. But yeah, the, uh, the, the marijuana opportunity reinvestment and expungement act, unfortunately it still spells more if they remove the expungement, um, yeah. is, uh, you know, it's, it's the biggest step forward that we've taken as a country towards righting the wrongs of the past. Um, and it has a lot to do with, with, with uh, ownership, you know, personal ownership of your mistakes. The government doesn't like to admit when it's wrong. So it's, it's definitely like, this is one of the most important times of our lives to call your Congress people like for real. And it takes five minutes. You'll be nervous. The other people on the line won't care until you call them 20 times. So it's like, you have to be active in these things, especially right now, just for the next couple months, it would make all the difference in the world to those 40 to 50,000 people sitting in jails right now. I just want to give a pro tip to contacting your Congress men or woman. Um, You know, most often it's Congress men and it's a white dude. So give them a call about 515 in the morning. And that's how I get a hold of my local guy. So Nicely done. Uh, I'm saying that kind of as a joke, but like, you know, uh, for real, try calls at all hours of the day. Um, like I say, my local uh, representative happens to be up really early in the morning and I figured that out and I figured out that he doesn't get any calls at that hour. So I've kind of kept that low key with, you know, with uh, people that I don't agree with. Right. <laughs> no, <I'm shocking. laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, figure out, call them at all times of the day, try different forms of communication. Like you guys were saying, um, flood them. And, and I think, I don't know if it was Richard or John that said this, but let it, let them know your name. You know, you want that your name to be somebody that they, you want to be somebody they're aware of and that they hear because they are your representative right yeah i mean like i remember back in the day when the tea party was was first a thing um they there's a movement to have a hundred thousand people uh mail tea bags to the government as a way to like show them force you know like this is who we are vote our way kind of thing so i'd love to see a thing where every you know a hundred thousand a quarter million people take legal hemp leaves and mail them into the government (laughs) hey cole and, and just for some you know value to the illinois you know, um, Chicago audience, what is, who is the guy for that? Who, where can we reach that person there? If you live in Chicago, Illinois, that's a good question. I honestly don't live in Chicago. So, but the, the answer to your question is, um, hold on. What is my, there's a website I'm trying to think it's called house.gov. And I think there's another one for the Senate but you can find your representative. So you enter in your zip code. So folks, if you Google find your representative, I'm gonna do it um, while you uh, you'll find house.gov, you know, find your representative. That should be like the top uh, result and you enter in your zip code and that's how you'll be able to find um, 
your representative. And also while you're there, you can find the public email addresses for members of Congress um, and, and much more information. There's alternative ways to reach your elective. You could also probably find them on LinkedIn. I bet just thought of that. Sorry to cut you off Cole. No, no, absolutely. That's yeah, that's absolutely a good, might have a better uh, chance of finding their personal email. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's a great idea. You know, I think reaching out to these people any way you can email, write them a damn letter. Um, and a lot of these people also hold office hours. You could, you know, send them a friendly email as a, as a concerned citizen and request five minutes of their time, show up, look nice, you know, on time, make your, make your case and present a little bit of info, leave them something to hold on to and read through. Um, and then shake their hand like you mean it and be like, this is going to help a lot of people. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. You are a representative of us. What we say is we'd like this to happen. Please do your part. You know, that that's kind of the case that we'd like to make, you know. You can also, um, for those of you who are lazy like me, you can go to congress.gov. Um, and a lot of these bills have public comment periods. So you can make public comments as well. Yeah, um, if you yeah. go to congress.gov, look up the bill, you can make a public comment on it. And that will live forever in history. And really quick, I found the missing link to all of this, folks. Uh, USA.gov slash elected officials. Again, that's USA.gov slash elected hyphen officials. I'll put that in the podcast description. When you go there, you can see how to contact Joe Biden online or the White House switchboard. You can locate your U.S. senator's contact information. Wow. You can also find your U.S. representative's website and contact information, as well as how to get in touch with your state governor, names and current activities of your state legislators, and information about your local elected officials. So folks, this is good, good information. Again, if you're wanting that link, I'm going to throw it in the podcast description. Yeah, Cole, this is, I just went to it as you were saying it. This is pretty amazing because the other facet of this is you can't just contact one. It's to be, to be robust about it. It is important to hit all levels and there are different responsibilities that each have at each level because you know, there are certain things that, you know, your closest person, your mayor can do that your state might not want to do, but if you can get your mayor, then you can get your state and then you can get that federal elected level, um, elected official, like, you know, Joe Biden and our, our senators or, or representatives like that. Absolutely. Um, so really quick, I was just going to swing it back around cause we're almost up to modern times. We skipped ahead to the more act, but um, just skipping over some small, I don't mean to say small things that happened in the nineties, but, um, more so of what I've heard is like in 2005, there was a case, uh, the Supreme court ruled on Gonzalez versus, uh, Reich. I don't know how to spell the other or pronounce the other name, but basically they ruled that even where individuals or businesses are in accordance with state approved medical cannabis programs, and are lawfully cultivating, possessing, or distributing medical cannabis in accordance to those laws, they can still, they're still violating federal uh, marijuana laws. Therefore, under federal law, violators are uh, prosecuted because the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution grants the federal government jurisdiction pursuant to the U.S. Controlled Substances Act, which is what we were talking about a little bit ago. Uh, it's basically the um, updated version of the 1937 tax act. Um, so, uh, fast forward to like 2016, actually, I think 2008, between 2008 or 2016, actually, maybe I can figure it out. I love this one. It's the Cole memorandum. 
Cole. It was named after me, actually. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> it was issued on August 29th, 2013, and it stated that given its limited resources, the Justice Department would not enforce federal marijuana prohibition in states that quote-unquote legalized uh, marijuana in some form and implemented strong and effective regulatory enforcement systems to control the cultivation, distribution, sale, and possession of marijuana, end quote, except where a lack of federal enforcement would undermine federal priorities, such as preventing violence in marijuana cultivation and distribution, preventing cannabis impaired driving and preventing marijuana revenues from going to gangs and cartels. So um, that ended up being rescinded by uh, the um, Keebler elf, Jeff Sessions in January, 2018, um, which is of course was during the presidency of Donald Trump. So it's a very uh, interesting how that all played out because of course, Donald Trump um, had signified a few times maybe that he was okay with states doing their own thing. And then he said, well, maybe not, I believe. And then he said, well, I'm okay with it for medical purposes, but we'll see about adult use. And then he appointed Jeff Sessions, who, of course, rescinded the Cole memorandum. But then Jeff Sessions recused himself from, uh, you know, giving any testimony and the whole, uh, Mueller investigation and so you know he's a of course an enemy of Trump now and then um to kind of wrap this all in a bow Trump was heard um on leaked conversations with Lev Parnas saying that he believes that cannabis lowers IQ um he said that he was basically stating like scientifically that they there was a noticeable IQ drop in states that had legalized. So if you ever wanted to know the raw thoughts of uh, Donald Trump, if you if you couldn't have imagined what they were on cannabis, uh, listen to those leaked take t- tapes with Lev Parnas. Um, he was actually trying to pitch to Trump um, the idea that maybe it'd be a good idea if he would uh, embrace legalization. Maybe it would bridge a gap, you know, bridge a divide. He could say the whole personal liberties thing, you know, we're not the party of big government, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he wouldn't have it. So. Um, Good for uh, Trump being the thought leader of science, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to, to kind of bring it all the way up to modern times. Uh, since we had already kind of talked about the Moore act, I wanted to kind of just talk about the coal memorandum, which is really how the cannabis industry has been surviving and is still surviving. It's kind of an unspoken agreement at this point, since it has been rescinded that, you know, your cannabis can't go across state lines. You need to make sure that you're, you've got a seed to sale system and track. You need to make sure it's the money's not getting in the hands of organized crime or anything else. And I think another unspoken agreement is that you need to make sure that it's for adults, you know, only and, and, under unless under you know regulated circumstances like medical cannabis programs but um yeah that's that's kind of how we got here and it's it's still crazy because even with what we're pushing for um ian can you google with the decriminalization of cannabis what is it decriminalized does it decriminalize so i know that it what it allow from what i understand what it allows for is the continuance I don't know if that's a word, the continued state by state approach approach that we have with cannabis, which is, um, you know, 
Kind of like, in other words, it's basically saying, hey, you guys are totally chill now. Federal law is not preventing you from doing this. Um, medical cannabis is totally cool now since it's going to be descheduled. Um, but like, what does it, are there still possess, like, I guess it is up to the states with possession limits because my point always is like, it seems like now that even that cannabis is legal, it's only legal so much. You know, you can only grow five plants. You can only have so much, but yet with, with alcohol, I can, the only thing that's stopping me from buying out the whole fucking liquor store is uh, my credit card. That's the only thing that's stopping me. <laughs> so. Yeah, cannabis decriminalization allows um, for different things depending on the state. Um, so different, it's again, it's a state, it's a state ruling. So um, each state can interpret it differently. Um, but in some states, it allows for the possession of up to an ounce of marijuana, but not the sale or purchase of it. Um, so, you know, where you've got it isn't is more of an issue than the fact that you have it in the first place. Um, then there is, uh, you know, decriminalization for the for the sake of medical treatment. So, um, you know, in some states, you're not able to purchase it or anything like that, but you can cultivate it at home if you have um, a medical condition that allows you to do that. So there's a couple of different interpretations of decriminalization. Um, it still makes it a crime to possess in some aspect or to, to, to engage in yeah. the commerce of it in some aspect. But um, overall, it's, it's just kind of what does the state want and what are they cracking down on? Gotcha. And I think it, cool. that lends its to itself to the, again, the point of, you know, just because you reach out to the, you know, the federal government, it doesn't mean, you know, you have to also reach out to every level because they're, this is, this is the way our government works currently. Um, and we got to make sure that we hit every level of, of, um, of law and legislature. Right. And I want to just remind folks that, that, that whole recession of the coal memo, by Jeff Sessions, um, you know, for a party that claims to be all about states' rights and, um, you know, anti-federalism, that was that was awfully, you know, big government of them to do to say no states, you can't choose, you know, and I, I just here again hip- hypocrisy. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they've always been a hundred percent pro states' rights unless they disagree. Yeah, well, and I think maybe this is a larger conversation, but it does it does relate, obviously, since we're talking about Black History Month. Uh, I mean, states' rights has always been kind of code for how you can discriminate against certain folks, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, any time in our history as a, as a nation, we let the states just decide on their own, barring a couple exceptions, it's pretty much been terrible every time. Sure. Because it basically just means that the states who would have done the right thing do the right thing and just turn a blind eye to the suffering somewhere else across an imaginary line down the street, you know? So it's like that, that's where the, we need to be more united than States um, in my opinion. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's also important not to marry yourself to any one party, you know? Um, Like uh, I have arguments with Republicans who then yell at me about Democrat stuff. And I'm like, I'm not a Democrat, you know? So it's like, because I know under Obama's administration, they were incredible historically aggressive towards raids with raids. Yeah. Oh yeah. They um, had the most raids. Um, yeah. So it's like, and then the Trump administration did have Jeff sessions where he said, good people do not smoke marijuana and his weird ass little, you know, Elmer Fudd voice. But like <laughs> um, they didn't do even a 10th of the raids that the Obama administration did, you know? So a lot of it is doing your, is, is being an active citizen, you know, read the paper, talk to your neighbor, you know, know what's happening in your community. Because whenever people say like the epitome of, oh God, privilege, when people say, you know, I'm just not really political, 
it's like, oh, cool word. Do you pay taxes? All right. Like, let's start there. You know what I mean? Like, it's so it's so hard to, to motivate some people, but that's where you have to be a, a, a rock in your community and educate yourself and and, you know, be involved in the process and reach out to your friends and be like, you know, when your friend says that at the bar, don't just let them don't just let it slide. You know, yeah, make it a big deal. Be like, yo, you should vote. Like it affects you. It affects me. It affects everyone. Yeah. I think, I think especially not um, to take it in that huge, you know, go vote direction. No, I mean like for sure. But like, I think we, especially from the topic we're talking about with it comes to people of color um, and just kind of the way that, you know, we we've kind of been having to fight barrier after barrier at this point. It's, you know, it's almost like we shouldn't give any kind of, we should tie you know, for those who want to continue to do these things and instill these things and enforce these things, we need to tie their hands behind their back, you know, by taking action. You know, we have to make sure that we're covering all of our bases because there's multiple systems at play in order to keep us where we're at and in order to, to, to actually be effective. And I watched this happen again. It's another thing I watched that happened um, at a, at a, at a local level, you know, especially when I was doing a lot of work with small business and, um, and, uh, and, and government, you know, basically of Charleston was something I worked with a lot out there, but I saw that it happened. It worked, you know, but it, it took the, it took everyone kind of getting together. So yeah, I, I think that, um, I don't know, I, for me, and I don't know everyone else's opinion on this, you know, Cole or Ian or John, but like, I just think at this point, it's not just like a, it shouldn't be an option. It should be kind of, we have to tie people's hands behind their back, metaphorically speaking, Obviously don't go around actually tying people's hands behind their back, but like, you know, like don't give anyone the excuse or reason to ever try to indict or to, to continue to enforce these things because, you know, these things are still affecting us and they're going to affect our children and our grandchildren. So, yeah, I was trying to look on numbers between the Trump administration and Obama administration on raids. And I wasn't able to find really much of anything, but one thing that I did recall um, besides the fact that, he had made those comments and leaked audio about uh cannabis is that apparently um bill barr's department of justice so this was after jeff session it was deliberately harassing, has sorry harassing legal cannabis companies with pointless investigations this was according to a department insider um and it's uh, according to a whistleblower it's because bill barr just hates weed um, so basically, uh, John Elias, the antitrust prosecutor still works for bar at the DOJ said that the department is using burdensome antitrust probes to demand companies turn over millions of documents that investigators don't need, or even bother to look at. And it's a huge portion of antitrust resources to make life miserable for cannabis companies. Um, so, uh, that, you know, um, let's just hope that we don't continue to see raids and because, because like you say, even the Obama administration, which, you know, the cold memo seemed like a good thing, but at the same time, they were were intense on raids. I mean, people were super scared in those years, um, you know, between 2008 and 2016, um, because at any moment, you know, the doors could fly open and you're getting raided. So um, let's hope that going forward with, uh, a, you know, Joe Biden presidency at the federal level and some of these uh you know, congressmen and women signifying that, um, you know, some of these things that we're, we're shooting for aren't out of reach and unrealistic. You know, it seems like one way or another, we're going to get 
some form of decriminalization. And it's unfortunate that things like expungements seem like they're halfway on and halfway off the table. So again, folks, reach out to your local elect- elected officials. Uh, we'll throw that link in the description, but I just want to say it again, usa.gov slash elected dash officials. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really important conversation to, to hold the government accountable um, for the, for the past things it's done. You know, I mean, like, you know, I feel like, you know, uh, even the way that we celebrate black history month is, in, is just, you know, uh, it illustrates the American idea of, of, you know, non-white culture. Like, I mean, American history, you know, is black history and relegating it to the cel- you know, relegating its celebration to the shortest month of the year is I think pretty symbolic of the uh, collective respect for black culture. So, I mean, yeah. it's not, it goes, I think uh, Richard touched on that earlier, you know, it goes far beyond February. This is, this is more of like the way in which you interact with your community uh, will reflect in how that community treats everybody. So that, that's why just being a concerned citizen, being an informed citizen, you know, um, and uh, you know, that, that's just kind of like the American experience, trying to make sure that you get the best and most accurate information and make the best decisions. Um, I mean, in this case, it happens to be like, a gigantic mountain of data on one side and a lot of people who don't want to admit they're wrong on the other, um, knowing how biased that sounds, but, but it's, but it's true. You know, I mean, like we've, we just went over, a, you know, over a hundred years of, of, uh, of intentionally keeping down an entire group of people, you know? Um, so it's, like I said, it's empowering to see the struggle that we've come from. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to be necessarily, you know, easy on the people that did this to us or the cell or overly celebrate, you know, it's more like, okay, cool. What's next? You know, where does the work yeah. lie? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, once again, folks were joined with John, Ian and Richard of highstick.com. Uh, guys, it's been a pleasure talking to you today um, because I've been looking for a, a way that I can approach and talk about black history month. And obviously as a pretty, very privileged white dude, uh, it's, it's tough for me to, find a, a good way to speak on it but i do want to acknowledge you know that that it is important uh you know black history is a, a very important thing to celebrate to learn about um and to try to make the the future you know which will soon be history we want to make, we want to make the future better right so we hope that by having these conversations that, that we can attain just that a better future um, and so I want to just say that, you know, you guys asked me if we could have this conversation and I just thought it was brilliant. So we made it happen. And I am so appreciative that we could take the time to kind of turn back the page, tell people some things that they can look into themselves, how they can um, take action and get involved with, you know, politics and, and try to change the landscape of, of the world that we're living in. And so I want to thank you guys. Could you go ahead and plug uh, where we can find each of you on Clubhouse and other forms of social media? Be sure to plug High Stick as well. For sure. Yeah. High Stick. Uh, you can find us at uh, highstick.com. That's H-I-I stick.com. Uh, you can find us on IG at High Stick, just like that. Um, no, uh, no dashes or anything. Um, you know, reach out. You know, we're, we're a good group of friends that started this company together and uh, we're doing it for all the right reasons. So, uh, you know, everybody can, you know, it's not difficult to just make money, but like, what can you do with it? So that's why we're trying to partner with these different companies that are doing great, fantastic things. And we're planting trees. Uh, we have a plan, uh, with, uh, some of our new products to, to be reforesting coral. So we've got, we've got a lot of good 
coming along the way. Um, and so I'm just really grateful to, you know, Cole, thank you so much for having us on, um, letting us get, you know, have this space to hold a conversation and just kind of think out loud with each other and, and, uh, you know, and, and, um, and also plug our, plug our new company, you know, um, I think high stick is doing some great stuff for a lot of people and, uh, it's been an incredible ride so far. Um, you can find me on IG at bond Johns, B O N D J O N S. Um, and then, uh, like we said earlier on clubhouse, uh, that's, uh, at John bonds. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cole. Happy to be here, man. For sure. Yeah. And, and just for the, just a, w- a way to connect with us as well on what John was saying, we are on, um, all social media platforms. We're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on TikTok, even, um, which is going to be fun. Um, we have, we're on everywhere. Check even our website out, you know, because all of those, um, different types of initiatives that you heard John speak about, we post about that on our website. Um, you can learn about the last prisoner project, which is very important to everything we're talking about right now, um, at highstick.com. Um, as well as I'm sure Cole will be able to provide some information on his website as well. I think Cole, I don't, it's not up yet, but it's coming out soon, right? Uh, my website. Yeah. Is it up? Is it up still? It is. It is. Uh, I'm still a work in progress. I'm just yeah. about done with it. So it'll be launching soon, but folks, uh, I'll put a link to the last, some information about the last prisoner project in the uh, description of the podcast as well. So if you're looking for a link to simply copy and paste, check out the podcast description. Yeah. And um, for clubhouse as well, again, uh, Richard Roman, reach out. We can, we can link, we can get together in a, in a clubhouse chat. I'm excited to do some stuff actually with you, Cole. I'm excited to talk to you offline. I've got a bunch of ideas for where we can go with this on different platforms. Um, Cause it's just, it's just the good work that we need to be doing as people. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, for anyone listening, a lot of the high level stuff, it can seem very daunting. You know, everyone's got lives. Everyone has different, you know, things that they're doing. Some people are listening to this on the way to work, to school, whatever. It, it can be very, um, you know, time. It can be something that you have to put a lot of time into. The At the very least, you know, support, you know, Cole's podcast, Chilla Noise. At the very least, you know, share share this podcast with people, you know, because Cole talks about these things all the time you know, in his podcast this is a good way to educate. That's the, the, one of the big facets of what we can do as Americans for people of color and as people of color. Um, and then also, you know, at the very least, again, you know, if you can always support by supporting high stick as well, because we are doing a lot of good work with people like his last prison project. So if at the very least, you know, you support by being a patron of our, of our, of our company, then that's a way, you know, as well. So just join the movement in whatever way you can. And, and, and that is the important thing that everyone lends a hand towards it. And so, yeah, Cole, thank you so much again. I don't know if Ian wants to say anything about his um, Instagrams, but I'm just happy to be here. And I'm excited about, you know, what we can do moving on from this conversation. Cause it sparked a lot of really cool ideas in my mind, actually. Yep, you can find me on Clubhouse at Ian Bush, I-A-N-B-U-S-H. And I'd also just like to say, um, you know, Black History Month is uh, something that, you know, if you are not a person of color, you can be an advocate. Um, and the way you do that is by um, using your privilege to help help uh, people of marginalized groups and people of color to, uh, to give them a platform and to give them a place or to share your resources with them um, so that they can, um, you know, you can use your privilege for good. So, um, there's different ways that you can do that as well. Hell yeah. Well said. And just before we close guys, uh, it's just speaking of things that I talk about all the time that just reminded me you get, before we started recording, you were telling me that 
you guys uh, are doing something with your packaging that relates to something I talk about all the time. You just, you want to, you want to talk about that really quick before we close? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead and touch on it. If anybody else wants to add anything, we, um, you know, I think we mentioned in my last podcast that every time we come out with a new round of product or a new round of packaging, we try to uh, better ourselves in the last round. And we always try, we're competing against ourselves really to um, do better. And one of the things that we've done this round with our packaging is um, we've switched to completely renewable, uh, recyclable paper for our packaging. And then on our tinctures for our labeling paper, we're actually using stone paper um, for those as well. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that we're doing and, and we're researching new ways to um, kind of improve on that next round as well. Hell yeah. Thanks for talking about that. Thanks for talking about that. You guys have anything to add on that? I didn't mean to jump in so quick. No, you're good, man. I was basically going to touch on what Ian said. You know, it's uh, like we always try to use as, you know, uh, as much of our of much of our revenue as we can to better our products, you know, and uh, if we can find a way to not change or even lower the customer or retail price of these products, you know, while providing something that's both better for them and better for the earth, then yeah, we're 100% on board with that. You know, that's kind of our MO. Yeah, I think the only thing I have to say about that to the audience specifically is we love feedback feel free to comment on our YouTube, feel free to comment on our Instagram, feel free to comment on our LinkedIn, anywhere you can find us and reach out. If you have ideas, if you have feedback on the products you've tried, let us know. We listen and we, uh, we love to respond in action. So um, we love our audience and we definitely would love to hear from you guys on what your thoughts are, because you know, this is, this is a product for the people and for the culture for sure. Yeah, transparency isn't a buzzword for us. Um, transparency is something that we take very seriously. And so, you know, we're, you're not going to see us trying to hide comments um, or negative reviews or anything like that. We, we try to take those comments and those reviews and learn from them and improve our product. We've done that already with our carts. Um, and then Cole, even, you know, between us, we've done that with our yeah. diffusers. Um, so we take yeah, transparency very, very seriously. Yeah, that was something that just to to kind of attest to what you're saying, like I was like, hey, you know, I had this problem with a, a early diffuser that you had provided me and you're like, hey, you know, we actually just identified that problem. Um, and I was like, is that <clears throat> something you're like opposed to? I was just kind of testing limits because I didn't know you at the time. I was like, is that opposed to, are you opposed to me mentioning something like that on air? And you're like, no, nah, man, go ahead. We're trying to improve. That'll That's even more motivation to make us improve and you've since improved on it. And so I'm really excited to, try that new diffuser and um that just kind of is uh proof of your uh, transparency you're not afra- afraid to talk about how you've improved and i i admire that a lot about you guys as a, as you know i was talking about you on my instagram saying basically just the same thing so <coughs> well um thanks again guys uh for joining us um definitely always welcome in the future you saw how easy it was uh just you know, reach out to me and we'll find a good time and we'll make this thing happen. So um, I just want to let's, why don't we all take a hit of whatever we've got near us, a sip, a hit, a, a drop, a tincture. I'm going to take a hit off my dad pen. Cheers, Chillinois. Hey, cheers, cheers, bro. I've got a, uh, I've got some high, uh, high stick uh, granddaddy Smurf. Cheers, bro. Sam, Sam, I got that here. It's our new, it's our new strain. Actually, it's a new terpene profile that we worked on. Uh, indica heavy. So if you guys are looking for that, we got a new one out. Hell yeah. I'll have to check that one out for sure. I'm on that powder and, and water bottle. Cole, I can't wait till you get yours. You need to tell us <laughs> how, how you use it. I am yeah, so excited we, for that for sure. 
Cole, the granddaddy Smurf, will be in the, um, you know, we brand them as Mellow, but it's our Mellow tinctures and our Mellow diffusers that just came out. Those are on the way to you. Should be, should be arriving today, hopefully. Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, folks, if you want to see my thoughts on that, I'll definitely be talking about it on the podcast, but I'll also be posting the products uh, that I receive on our Instagram when I receive them. I always like to do an unboxing, you know, on Instagram. Um, so shout out to the folks at High Stick for being legit. So thanks again, folks, for uh, joining us today. I want to plug your website one more time. It's High Stick, H-I-I-Stick.com. Uh, check them out. Try their products. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I got. So yeah, and uh, uh, use uh, use that code for call to benefit uh, Chillinoy. That's right, Chillinoy ten, and that'll get you ten percent off your order. But also, ten percent goes towards Justine and I. So um, yeah, it's the one way you can support the Chillinoy podcast. So um, please do, folks. Uh, it's good stuff. I'll be like I say, trying out their new products. So if you're if you're wondering about their new products i'll be trying those soon and so you can get the scoop uh from me and yeah take the leap with me so um yeah thanks again guys uh cheers cheers man thank you cheers yep.